welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches part two of his series, Sent, Living Life on Mission, in this message from January 20th. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. These words of Jesus to his disciples following his resurrection and prior to his ascension raise numerous questions. Questions as, where was Jesus sending his disciples? Who was he sending them to? And what were they being sent to do? Those are all important questions and necessary questions to reflect upon. But before we can really consider those questions, I think we need to consider a more basic question. What was a father's reason for sending Jesus? Because the sending of the disciples by Jesus in John 20 is closely tied to and associated with the sending of Jesus in the world. In these words to the disciples, Jesus is doing more than simply drawing a vague parallel between his mission and the disciples' mission. Deliberately and precisely, he made his mission the model for their mission, and as a result, the model for ours as well. And so what then is a mission Jesus was sent to accomplish? What was the Father's purpose for sending Jesus to us? The mission of God is one of the great themes throughout the scriptures. When we read through the Bible, we see God reaching out to us. It was God who establishes a relationship with Adam. And even with the sinful decisions made by the first man and the first woman, God continues in his mission by working to reestablish his relationship with humanity. Philip Nation writes, God's mission among us is to glorify himself to the work of redeeming people and restoring creation. God makes it clear in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, that he will not surrender his glory to any other. Because he is God alone, glory belongs to him alone. He has no rivals, he has no equals. He can extend mercy or he can deliver judgment, and in it all, he is right in all that he does. However, in his mercy, God has chosen to reveal himself to humanity in such a way that we can understand him, but not only understand his nature, but also understand him and know him personally. The biblical record teaches that Adam and Eve are restored after the fall. The Hebrews, when rebellious, are called back to the covenant that God had established with them. In other words, the sinful are redeemed and the spiritually dead are given new life again. And as we move into the New Testament, obviously the the focus shifts uh, immediately to Jesus, the Messiah. With the incarnation, with Jesus becoming flesh, God the Son personally taking on human flesh, he arrives here on mission. He brings with him the kingdom of God and he inaugurates his reign upon the earth. Because in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he declares, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, the mission of God and the ministry of Jesus is the announcement of God's rule and reign renewed among us. But the announcement 
is a precursor to Jesus' death as an atonement for sin and his resurrection as victory over death. Philip Nation continued by saying, God's mission finds its pinnacle in the hinge point of human history in the death of Jesus. Through it, he defeats sin, death, and hell in the act of divine mercy that only God can accomplish. By God's mission and God's mission alone, can we come back into fellowship with him. The Bible is a sweeping narrative of God's work to provide the reason and the means by which we can be redeemed. Further, it is through those who have been given new life that he continues a ministry of reconciliation to those who are in darkness. In the Old Testament, we learn how God is on a constant mission to reestablish the relationship with humanity that had been cast into ruins by our sinful nature and sinful choices. And in the Gospels, we witness how God, by personal means, reestablishes relationship and abolishes death for his people. And throughout the rest of the New Testament, the mission of God continues through the church and the command to disciple the nations. And at the end of the scriptures, we see this one great lesson from the book of Revelation, that God wins. He's glorified in all things, victorious over all powers, and he has extended his mercy to draw men and women into a covenant relationship with himself. So the Bible, from beginning to end, is a great recounting of God's love for fallen humanity. He reaches out to his creation to redeem and restore mankind. Writer Christopher Wright summarizes it in this way. He says, the whole Bible renders to us a story of God's mission through God's people and their engagement with God's world for the sake of God's purpose for the whole of God's creation. I think you and I understand fairly well the mission of God, that Christ was sent into this world to redeem mankind. But the Bible provides also for us the missionary nature of God. When we consider the attributes of God, we most often think of characteristics like holiness and sovereignty and wisdom and justice and love. Rarely do we ever think of God's missionary nature. But it is, it is a great mission of God that permeates the scripture as God reveals his nature, both as sender and the one sent to secure salvation. Scripture is replete with language that speaks to the missionary or the sending nature of God. From God's sending of Abraham in Genesis 12 to the sending of his angel in Revelation 22, there are hundreds of examples that portray God as a missionary God, that portray God as a sending God. In the Old Testament, God is portrayed as a sovereign Lord who sends in order to announce and complete his redemptive mission. In fact, the Hebrew verb to send is found nearly 800 times in the Old Testament. And of those 800 usages, more than 200 of them have God as a subject of the verb. In other words, it is God who commissions his people and it is God who sends. For example, it is God who sends Jonah to the people of Nineveh. It is God who calls and sends the prophets to the nation of Israel. And perhaps you recall in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is called to ministry. In that passage, God says, Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah responds by saying, Here am I, send me. And this sending language continues in the New Testament. 
is found throughout the Gospels, is found in the book of Acts, it's found in each of the epistles. But perhaps the one book where it's, where it's really, we can really discover it, is in the Gospel of John, where the words sent or sent are near, used nearly 60 times. And the majority of uses refer to the title of God as the one who sends, and as Jesus, as the one who is sent. And so all of this points to the fact that God is a missionary God. God has a mission, and God is a missionary God. But it also proclaims another message to us, that as a missionary God, God has a missionary church that he sends into the world to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of grace. God's mission and missionary nature is the impetus, it's a mode, it's a method, it's a compulsion for the church. The church declares and demonstrates the transformative power of the gospel to a world that is pain, to a world that is filled with sin. The mission calls us to grow in maturity, but it also calls us to engage in ministry. And the most satisfying of all lives is the one that is fully cast into God's work in the world. Stop and think of this. God could have accomplished his mission alone and without any assistance from any created thing, including you and me. However, he has chosen to involve us in the work of his mission. He calls believers to be ambassadors for Christ. And it's for this reason, Paul said, as he understood himself to be an ambassador, he said that we plead on Christ's behalf with those who do not know him, that they be reconciled to God. One word you may have come across in your reading is the word missional. It's a word that was used on, uh, by Michael Frost on the video. And it's a word that has come into use in more recent years. And it means different things to different people. But I think when we understand the meaning of this word, it can be very helpful and when it's properly applied. The word is simply the adjective form of the word missionary. We're reminded this morning by Brad Briscoe in his uh, videos that we watched in our equipping module that um, the word missional is just the adjective form of the noun missionary. It's used to describe the church as a people who think and act as missionaries, actively participating in God's mission. I like the way Reggie McNeil put it. He said, missional is a way of living, not an affiliation or activity. Missional is a way of living. It's a lifestyle. Last Sunday, Luke Miller made reference to a number of statements on our North American Baptist Conference website. And if you go to our conference website, you'll find these statements. We are a family of missionaries. We believe every follower of Jesus is a missionary. We serve in churches and in communities in Canada, the USA, and on mission fields scattered around the world. Our mandate is to equip missionaries for service at home and internationally. Now, I ask you this question. What reaction do you have when you hear these statements? What reaction do you have when you hear we are a family of missionaries? We believe every follower of Jesus is a missionary. How does that resonate with you? What feelings, what thoughts come into your mind? Is your immediate response, I'm not a missionary. I didn't sign up for ministry in a foreign country. I didn't volunteer to go overseas. That's how often, I think that's how we so often think of the word missionary. But let me 
suggest to you that I believe that there are two ideas associated with in that word missionary. There is the idea of sending. We commission or we send people as missionaries to other people groups, to other tribes, to other nations, covenanting to support them in prayer as well as in finances. And this is good. There is nothing wrong with that. We need to do it. In fact, our congregation has a rich heritage of supporting global missions, and we need to continue to do that. But the other idea inherent in the word missionary is the idea of being sent. Not only do we send, but we also recognize that we ourselves are sent. We may not be sent to cross borders or to cross waters, but we are sent. We are sent into our neighborhoods, we are sent into our communities, and we are sent in those places with the good news of the gospel. Unfortunately, we most often focus exclusively on the idea of sending rather than seeing ourselves as being sent, both individually and collectively as a church. But it was Charles Spurgeon who once said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. If we don't recapture and embrace the reality that we are missionaries, we will simply contract out our missionary responsibilities. We will pay the way for others to go to the mission field, and we will hire church staff to engage in outreach in our local community. But by doing so, we literally wash our hands concerning our personal responsibility to be part of what God is doing in the world, to be part of his mission. What is necessary is a renewed understanding of the church. The church is God's tool in fulfilling his mission. Therefore, as a church, we need to be centered on God's mission, and his mission should shape everything that we do. To put it another way, God is the one who determines the mission, which then determines the shape of the church, which then determines the direction of the church. The church does not define the mission. The church does not determine its purpose. God does. It was Christopher Wright who put it this way, and I think it, it's a good way of, of saying it. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, for God's mission. And that is significant because everything then that the church undertakes is informed by the mission that God has handed down to us. This morning, Brad Briscoe, in that video I referenced earlier, said so often Christians under the, understand the church from two primary perspectives. First, he says, some define the church as a place where certain things happen. They usually identify practices of the church that include the preaching of the word, gathering for worship, the administration of the ordinances, and the meeting for fellowship. And he says these are all good, but they become an end in themselves. Others, however, view the church as a vendor of religious goods and services. From this perspective, members are viewed more as customers for whom the religious goods and services are produced. Churchgoers expect the church to provide a wide range of religious services, such as great worship music, children's programs, small groups, parenting seminars, to name a few. 
And again, there's nothing wrong with the church offering these things. However, so often churchgoers can view themselves as customers or where we see them as consumers who come and simply take, a, be a part of these things. However, when we realize God is a missionary God, and the Bible is a grand narrative of God's missional activity, we begin to view the church differently. We begin to understand the nature of the church rooted in the very nature of God is missionary. Yes, the church still gathers together, but the difference is we don't gather for our own sake per se. Instead, we gather for the sake of others, or better yet, we gather together for the sake of God's mission. Leslie Newbigin reminds us the church is a bearer to all the nations of a gospel that announces a kingdom, the reign, and the sovereignty of God. It is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as, agent, as agents of God's kingship. What you and I will often have to wrestle with is the gravitational pull to wanting to be served and having our preferences met within the church rather than engaging in God's mission. And to resist that gravitational pull away from mission requires a change in our thinking. No longer must we simply think of Christianity as getting saved, being baptized, joining a church. Again, those things are important. Don't misunderstand me. But we would begin to understand more fully that Christianity is about being redeemed and being sent on a mission. It's about transformation, not just information about Jesus. Therefore, as missionaries, we that take the gospel, uh, we take that gospel to the people in our culture. We understand as missionaries that we need to use language and method that they understand, giving them a clear definition to the gospel. And that's what the mission of God is all about. Let me try to illustrate it in this way. Picture a missionary entering a foreign land. How does he or she go about sharing Christ? I think that there are several things that they would attempt to do. First of all, they would move into the culture. Secondly, they would learn the language. They would also try to build relationships, make friends with those within that country, within that culture. And one of the reasons in order to earn their respect and their trust so that they can then explain the gospel in a way that those individuals can understand. And when a person comes to faith in Christ, that missionary would not pull them out of the culture. Rather, they would equip them to remain in the culture and, as Jesus said, fish for men. Well, that applies to us here within our own community, within our own neighborhoods. We need to understand the people that we live amongst. And we need to build relationship with them, earn their trust, so that we can share with them the good news of the gospel. But there's always that danger of you and I becoming isolated and detached from our own culture. Rather than from withdrawing from culture, we need to build bridges into our culture. And so I just want to give you five ways in which we can begin to build inroads into our neighborhoods and into our communities so that we can share the hope that is within us, the hope of Jesus Christ. These are not, nothing profound, but just simply ideas that can perhaps trigger some thinking and, and stimulate your thinking in this regard. The first is to pray. We need to start by recognizing that people come to know God because of God. 
The Bible tells us that unless the Spirit of God draws them, uh, they won't come to repentance. But at the same time, the Bible tells us that God uses us to proclaim the good news to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so we begin by praying. While we do our part as ambassadors and messengers, we pray. And since this is true, we need to be praying vigorously that, that God moves into the hearts of our neighbors and our acquaintances, that he brings them to repentance. Remember when Jesus looked at the crowd, he felt compassion, and he said to the disciples, pray the Lord of the harvest. And as we pray, I think so often we need to pray for our own courage as well, that we'd be willing to make the sacrifices, that we have the courage to do what is necessary to build those relationships. The second suggestion I would have is to take the initiative and meet your neighbors. Some individuals can live in the same neighborhood or in the same municipality for years and not know their neighbors. Oh, they might know the name of their neighbor or so-and-so lives there. But actually to go over and introduce yourself to your neighbors and let them know that uh, who you are as well to take that initiative. Another way in which we can begin to build relationships is to volunteer with local organizations. Relationships easily and naturally occur when you and another person care for the same thing. And there are people in our community that care about things in our community that we ought to care about as well. And there are organizations that have been established to address various needs and issues and matters within our community. And so as we begin to identify with people who care about the same things we care about, relationships are easily and naturally built. Participate in hobbies with people. Do what you love with people. Do you love to run? Join a running group. Do you love to read? There are book clubs that would love to have you. Do you go to a gym? Just don't nod and walk past the people you see every day. Talk to them. Begin to work out together with them. Hobbies give people a common ground to start building friendships and relationships. Luke Miller also reminded us of this last week. Be a regular and meet the regulars. As you become regular at a certain place, whether it be a coffee shop or a restaurant or whatever may be the case, or at, a, at an organization, you begin to meet other regulars as well. It might be at a parent-teacher advisory council. It might be at the playground. You begin to meet those regulars, and you can begin to interact. You see, the primary mission field for most of us is not far away. Yes, I do believe that God calls people to other, mission, uh, to other org, uh, tribes and nations and, and, and people groups. But for most of us sitting here this morning, our mission field is not far away. It is in the routine of our daily lives. And God doesn't save us to be passive spectators. He saves us and then sends us into the world to tell other people about Jesus. Each of us is called to play a part in God's mission to save sinners. The people that you and I meet on a day-to-day -day basis. As we have received the grace of God manifested through Jesus Christ, God calls us to join him in mission in declaring that same message to those that we come in contact with. Or as David Platt writes, we are called to declare God's glory and to extend his grace. Mission is rooted in the identity of God himself. 
God is a missionary God. God is on a mission. Jesus is the embodiment of that mission and empowers the people of God for God's mission. The church is sent on mission by Jesus. And so the question is not whether we are sent. We are sent. This we can't deny. Paul calls us ambassadors. Jesus said, you are my disciples. He said to the disciples, I send you. And as Jesus sent his disciples, they in turn sent the disciples they made, who in turn sent the disciples they made. So the question then is whether we are going. Are we going into our neighborhoods? Are we going into our communities? Are we going into our businesses, our place of employment, into our schools, into the sphere of our relationships with the gospel? To put it into perspective this morning, I want to share a story that I read as told by Michael Frost, the presenter on the video this morning we saw. And perhaps it'll give you a better understanding of what I've been talking about this morning. This is what he writes. She was elderly and wore a lavender cardigan. She gripped my arm more firmly than I thought she could. She said you, she said she had something she wanted to tell me. I had just preached a Pentecost Sunday sermon about how the Holy Spirit commissions all of us as missionaries or sent ones to alert others to the universal reign of God wherever we might find ourselves. I had preached that all vocations offer us the opportunity to mirror the work of God in the world, whether it's to bring healing or justice, reconciliation or wholeness, whether to design and build or to serve and love. And I threw in references to a few random vocations like stay-at-home parents and lawyers and nurses and union officials and artists and builders and teachers. I had quoted Jesus' words to his followers. As a father has sent me, so I send you. And I asked the congregation, so to whom have you been sent? As I was leaving the church that morning, the woman in the lavender cardigan took my hand, my arm, and said with great determination, I know whom I'm sent to. We were in the church behind the last pew, still in the whisper zone before the hubbub of the mingling space beyond the glass doors. She told me quietly that her husband has advanced Alzheimer's and lies in a nursing home bed. His face and hands twisted and contorted, a mere shell of the man she married in love for the most of her life. She sits with him dutifully, but he doesn't recognize her. He's no longer there. She told me she was angry with God for the longest time, wondering why he allowed her husband to linger so long. I used to yell at God, why don't you just take him, she said softly. But then it dawned on me one day, this is my calling, to be by his side until the end. And when I realized that, things changed. I started to see that the facility was full of women in the same situation as me, waiting, grieving. And I started praying for them. They began to reach out to me, and now I'm like a pastor to these women. I love them, and I pray for them. I share Jesus with them. These are the people to whom I'm sent. Them and my poor, dear husband. Michael Frost continued by exclaiming, Wow. She hasn't been sent to Africa or South America, not to church planting or leading a strategic missional organization. She's been sent to sit beside her unresponsive husband 
and to minister to the wives of other equally unresponsive husbands throughout the nursing home. Her calling. Her vocation. Her mission. Living a life on mission isn't something that is programmed. Rather, it's a rhythm of living out the gospel wherever God may send us. We are sent to be God's witnesses, both locally and globally. We're commanded by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to join God in his mission to spread the gospel to all people. And so the question is, where is our missionary God sending his missionary people? Where is he sending you? Where is he sending us as a missionary church? Before the praise team comes and leads us in our final song, would you please bow as I pray? Father God, we want to take your word seriously. We want to believe that you have a place where you're sending us. And so I pray that we'd recognize that you are on mission and that you have called us to join you in that mission, to partner with you. And Father, I thank you that you're going to use us in powerful ways as we simply offer ourselves humbly before you, where we give to you, where we surrender our gifts and our abilities, the very things that you have given to us to resource us for the mission you would have us engage in. And so I ask that we would Continue to allow your spirit to stir within our spirit this morning, today and in the days to follow, and that it, we would be responsive, Father, obeying you, desiring to please you, to declare your glory, and to extend your grace. In the name of Christ. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 10.30. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash tbcswanriver. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash templebaptistchurch or search on your favorite podcast app.